0: That is something else, man. You, you, I didn't know this. You sh- uh, uh, You're uh, educating me.
1: I'm sharing a lot. I share.
2: This is Gareth Cliff, host of the online radio station Cliff Central. He's talking to South African musical legend Ray Piri. They are talking about the intro to the song Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. From American music legend Paul Simon's 1986 record *Graceland*.
0: No, no, no. I'm, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this is not the case. It's just <clears> it surprises me that that someone like Paul Simon would just take this.
2: Because
0: you know, in his story, he says he came up with it.
2: Ray is explaining to Gareth Cliff how some of the songs on the record that Paul Simon took credit and royalties for were in fact not primarily written by Paul Simon, but by Ray Peter himself. Listen to that.
1: singing on F. The song is in on F sharp because the album was already finished. Then we're entertaining the guests at the album launch. Then he held the album back and said, no, we need to put this song on it. That, that was Diamonds. Listen to the guitar when it comes in there. It's a different key. Let's listen. This is amazing.
0: Ray Perry is our guest.
3: Diamonds on the of the shoe.
2: Diamonds
3: on the souls of the shoe.
2: In this podcast, we revisit the story behind the famous Graceland record. How the record was mired in controversy from the beginning, but ultimately ended up relaunching Paul Simon's career and the international careers of several South African musicians. This is reporter Lungile Sojini, walking the streets of Johannesburg. So I'm now in
4: Craigwald Park. Where there are more trees and more leaves than people or cars. I mean, the leafy suburbs. These are the kind of houses that you see on TV or on top building. It reminds somebody of movies like Under the Toss and Sun. So,
2: hey. He is trying to answer the question that has caught Gareth Cliff by surprise. Why did Ray Pierce say that there was bad blood between him and Paul Simon. This Sound Africa podcast is called Bad Blood in Graceland. It is edited by Rasmus Bits. My name is Neo Rakajani, and Lungile Sojini tells the story.
5: He's a poor boy, empty as a pocket, empty as a pocket, nothing to
4: i'm in craigwald park johannesburg and i'm meeting nikki temkin the journalist who first broke the story about how ray piri was perhaps not entirely happy with how the collaboration between him and paul simon worked out more than 30 years ago it would of course have been better to ask ray piri himself but sadly he has passed away he died from cancer in july 2017 But Nikki Temkin did speak to him.
0: Um, I was working for the Sunday Times for a, a section in their newspaper called Sunday Lifestyle, which still exists today. And Sunday Lifestyle commissioned me to do a series of interviews with famous South African people, just about their life or to get to know them better. And I recommended Ray Ferry because I was a fan of his music and so was my husband. And I'd never met him before and I really wanted to. And I'd heard that he was a very, very nice guy and my husband knows him. So that's how it came about.
4: This is back in 2011 when she was a lifestyle journalist for the Sunday Times.
0: It was probably near the end of the interview. And he brought up the subject. I think I mentioned what was it like to work with Paul Simon and how did that experience change your life? Because that was obviously what catapulted him into worldwide fame. It was before that, I think he was very well known locally. But having a huge international star like Paul Simon come and want to collaborate with him, it turned him into a superstar. And then obviously Graceland went on to win all these amazing awards and Grammys and all that. And so I really wasn't expecting him to reveal that there was bad blood between him and Paul Simon. And he seemed, I wouldn't say the word is bitter. He was more, felt betrayed. I think he felt betrayed by the experience. And I'm obviously putting words in his mouth now because now he's gone and I can't say is this how you felt And I wrote down the interview word for word um, about what, what he said. He said, there's bad blood with Paul Simon. He never gave me credit on the album for the songs I wrote. And financially, we hardly got any royalties. But he says, I wouldn't have been able to handle all that wealth, maybe. I sleep at night, I have my sanity, and I enjoy living. I think he felt maybe this big American star came from America and took his talent and harnessed it in order to make something... Uh, different, a hybrid form of music, and that he never really got credit for that, and I think it really hurt him. I think it hurt his feelings a lot.
4: As far as I know, this was the first time Ray Perry publicly announced that everything wasn't well between him and Paul Simon, but it was not the last time. What exactly Ray was unhappy about, we will get into later, because first we gotta tell the beginning of the story. And it starts long before Nikki Temkin met Ray Piri in Melvin. In a sense, the story also begins long before Paul Simon came to South Africa, because Ray Piri was by then already an established and highly respected artist. His talent was obvious to anyone that had seen him play since he came to Johannesburg from Bumalanga with his band, which back then were called The Cannibals. One of the people who met Ray Pierre in the 1970s was music producer Richard Mitchell, who went on to become a long-time friend and collaborator.
6: There was a studio out in Blegari, I'm talking about 1978, 79. He was with a group called Cannibals. There were basically two big groups at that stage. There was the Movers uh, and then the Cannonballs, and they eventually merged the two uh, and became Stimella. That was the birth of Stimella. I remember them coming into the studio and these guys started playing. They just started playing, and I couldn't believe how good they were. And he and I headed headed off from there. Worked extensively with him on some solo projects that he did. The other big project we worked on, which somebody found the other day, was uh, uh, the Musicians' Union... Um, commissioned a song on the release of Mandela uh, and it was called People Want Mandela and it was you go on YouTube you can actually find it um, and it was, Ray was, was a writer in it uh, and it had everybody and anybody I mean Brenda Fassie was on it oh, Nana Coy- Coyote uh, Jennifer Ferguson, you know, the lady who's just uh, yeah Steve Kakana Hot Sticks. I mean, it's actually an amazing, it was an amazing event. but that was something ray loved doing and i mean he was very good at that pulling it all together and making it happen and as a as a producer he was unique he had ideas that were so far ahead of its time and i think that was i mean if you listen to stella now the, the the magic of Stamilla is timeless; they're never going to go out of fashion. You know, it's not like a lot of current modern music.
4: But it was not only the
6: music Richard admired Ray for. He could laugh at himself. He was one of the funniest guys I've ever met, and yet, the probably the most insightful. I mean, I remember even before 1994 having. Uh, in-depth conversations with Ray about politics and the future of this country and his warning was always we're going to end up with uh, a nation of unemployed youth that's going to be very dangerous and he said there's going to be a bunch of very fat cats who bleed this country dry and that was what he was fighting at right up until the Back end.
4: Back in the 1980s Ray Perry was also fighting, fighting against the apartheid system but also fighting to make a career for himself, his band Stimela, and for international recognition of South African music. None of those things were easy feats in South Africa in the 80s. Political oppression was the order of the day, and the country was isolated and under a cultural boycott. We are not asking that you make a political decision. We're not asking you to make an economic decision. We're asking you to make a moral decision. Those who invest in South Africa are upholding and buttressing one of the most vicious systems the world has ever known. All these things were important for the other beginning of this story, the beginning across the Atlantic. It's New York in the middle of the 1980s. Paul Simon, who was formerly incredibly successful with Art Garfunkel, has just released an album called Hearts and Bones. Commercially, it has been a failure. And to add insult to injury, Simon has gotten divorced. Paul Simon has hit a low. His record company does not believe in his folk pop anymore. The 70s are over, and there is a new king of pop in town. But then rescue comes in the strange form of a tape recording of a band called the Boyo Boys. At least that's the story producer Richard Mitchell, Ray Perry's longtime musical colleague and friend, remembers.
6: These various stories, the one I know was that Paul heard a recording by the Boyo Boys and liked what he heard. So he and his engineer came out to South Africa to try and capture that. And they found that there was a communication breakdown and everything. So in essence, the the guys from Stamela were then brought in uh, with Bugiti Kumala and, um, and that's where the magic started to happen.
4: The magic in this case was what happened when Paul Simon gathered a group of South African artists and simply started playing with them. Amongst the artists were Ray Pires Stimela, General Shirinda, the Gaza Sisters, Lady Smith Black Mambazo and more.
6: And that's that's really the, the essence of
5: Graceland.
4: At this point, all was well between Ray Piri and Paul Simon. But the controversy surrounding Graceland had started even before Paul Simon left New York. The root of the problem was apartheid. Because of the oppressive system, South Africa was under a UN embargo which, for example, meant that artists from other countries were supposed to stay away from South Africa to put pressure on the government. Meanwhile, South Africa used international artists who played in the resort Sun City as propaganda. This was opposed in South Africa and internationally, where, for example, little Stephen Van Sand formed the protest movement Artists Against Apartheid, But Paul Simon argued that since he wasn't going to work for the government or even perform for segregated audiences, his break of the embargo was justified. What made you to go there?
5: I was invited there. I was invited by black musicians.
4: Far from everyone agreed. And in fact, Paul Simon was for a while on the revolutionary group Azapo's hit list. We saw Paul Simon coming as a threat and we saw it as an issue.
5: Strongly,
4: strong, many be. Strongly. Strongly. the story of graceland continued with paul simon going ahead with the project in spite of the protests after the recordings in johannesburg he flew some south african musicians back to new york to continue the recordings of the album in the studio one of them was ray Peary. And it was here he claims to have contributed more to the music than he got credit for. This is what Piri said to Gareth Cliff.
1: If I give you a riff of my father's song that he taught me in 1964 called Crazy Love, how can you go and say that you've composed that? Last time when we were here, I took him to the source where the farm at Crocodile Valley, where my school is. I took him there to say that this is where the songs that you call yours emanate from.
6: <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? <laughs>
1: and Sure. He's ready to help um, do a fundraiser for my school and stuff well, like that. So
0: he'll pay bit by
1: bit. Okay.
0: So you should have had, in, in your mind, you're saying that you should have been... Uh, co-composer with him on those Definitely.
1: songs diamonds on the soles of his shoes and, wow, African skies and, all that.
0: Uh, and and have you ever brought this up with him yes i did but and what was, did he say
1: no he was smart he kept me on the road for more than uh, five years sure. in america this is cannot, a big this is a big thing in america you have to lodge your complaint 36 months yeah? after 36 months even if you try to resuscitate that it's not difficult. You cannot. You have to lodge it within those three years. But during those three years, we're busy touring the world.
4: (laughs) We have tried to reach out to Paul Simon for a comment, but we haven't gotten an answer. So we don't know what he has to say to Piri's accusations. But back in 1986, the New York Times wrote that Simon paid the musicians three times the hourly rate by American standards. He also offered writers royalties to musicians providing key melodic fragments. While a couple of artists are co-credited as composer on the album with Paul Simon, Ray Piri is not one of them. He is simply a guitarist. And according to Ray Piri, he was kept busy on the road for the three years that made it too late for him to challenge Paul Simon's credit list. But why, you may be thinking, did Ray Peary continue playing with Paul Simon if he was unhappy with the collaboration? According to Richard Mitchell, it is complicated. Ray had a, a good and a
6: bad relationship with Paul.
4: For one, we should not forget how successful Graceland became. Ray Peary got to tour the world with Paul Simon and play in an absolutely pegged Central Park in New York. Not bad for a guy from Nelspruit, Richard Mitchell says. But on the other hand, Mitchell continues, Ray Perry could have gotten a big international breakthrough without Paul Simon.
6: Ray wanted to achieve recognition for South African um, music. He, he was... So close to it. as much as Paul Simon uh, achieved it to a large degree, Ray had a diff- slightly different view of how to do it. And I think if he hadn't gone on the, Ray- the, the Graceland tour, he would have definitely have achieved it. Because I mean, some of the ideas and things he was working on in those days, that concept in music, had been developed. You know, because there were it was uh, very sophisticated, but it would it was had a global appeal to it definitely.
4: But what could have been is not what was. And the same could be said for the composer rights Ray Perry did not have in writing. So what went wrong in the deal? In order to clear this up, I visited one of the guys who works in that complicated intersection between art and law.
3: I work for both, um, you know, indie record labels and artists, singer-songwriters, etc.
4: This is Ryan Tucker, entertainment lawyer, and I immediately ask him if he believes Ray Piri was right about being cheated of his royalties. At
3: the end of the day... I don't know the the facts of the matter. I don't know the, the the exact facts. I don't know if there was a verbal agreement between between either the record label and Ray, or whether there was a, a verbal agreement between Paul Simon and Ray as to royalties that were going to be shared. There may have even been a you know we could we could probably even say well there's an implied there's an implied by conduct agreement in place a tacit agreement that Ray would never have co-composed on Graceland without the notion that he must be compensated in some way. We could potentially argue that point, but it's a very, very thin and tenuous point to argue
4: Ryan Tucker does not know what agreements Ray Peary and Paul Simon and the other artists on Graceland had, and neither do I. So instead I ask him what they should have signed. They should have definitely signed drafted and signed
3: a joint composer agreement or a composer partnership agreement and in that agreement agreement um details such as the ownership issues which i think were pertinent to this uh, whole debate as well as the royalty splits that were going to be uh, passed on to each member of the uh, of the group in spite of
4: what we do know ryan says that ray Perry may have had a point
3: of course it's 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 not impossible for for Perry to go and now speak to the record label or to uh paul simon himself and say you know listen paul i mean you made millions from this graceland album or to the record label and say you know you guys made millions from this graceland album at least let me be compensated in some way let my family have something to go by in the future
5: she said there's something about you that really reminds me of mom.
4: Not having a contract, according to Ryan Tucker, is a common mistake that many artists make. Because typically, at the beginning of a collaboration, all is well in Graceland.
3: Listen, Ungile, we all start off
4: big buddies.
3: Got this handshake agreement. Everything's fantastic. Brilliant. We're going to take on the world. We're going to make millions until something goes wrong in that relationship. It's like a divorce. You know what I mean? When you when you enter into an agreement with someone there's a good faith element to it and if you don't have everything written down and signed by both parties, it's very easy for someone to say, oh, but you said this and that and eventually there's a breakdown of the relationship and and the objective becomes secondary and the fight becomes the primary objective and then then it's a very difficult situation.
4: Is it the record labels fault? Should they take the blame? So can I blame the, the,
3: the, the record label? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Maybe we can. Maybe they should have considered um, his, his rights, uh, Ray Peary's rights. Maybe. But at the end of the day, they're worried about themselves. They're not worried about Ray Peary.
4: Business is business in other words. But the lawyer's message is clear to anybody out there making music. Get a contract and know your rights. Ray Pire himself said it wasn't about money. But if not that, what was important to him?
6: He wanted to be a spokesman. He wanted to be uh, somebody who chronicled and, and told stories about what was happening. You know, he was a storyteller. You know, if you listen to his lyrics, I mean, his lyrics were profound. I mean, they really were. They were unbelievably deep.
4: If it's difficult to establish a legal responsibility, maybe there's a moral one. I asked John Savage, another producer who has worked with Ray Peary before and is a big fan of both him and Paul Simon.
5: This genius musician came here because he wanted to, he collaborated and made a piece of absolute magical history at a time that I think that Ray felt that they were contributing to the struggle, that what the music they were making um, and why they participated was specifically to contribute to getting the message out to the rest of the world about what was happening in South Africa, which is what it did. However, because I think that the South African band were focused on the revolution and and Paul Simon was a businessman who knew the music industry, came in here, may, may have taken some advantage and, and did all the paperwork and made sure everyone was happy uh, at the time, and then left off and still held all the control on all the publishing and had a major share of the stuff. And so I think that locally, um, they may have felt that they were taken advantage of, even though that was probably not his intentions. He just came here and did this thing that he thought was a great project whereas Ray and the guys naively thought that they were doing something more political and then once the the dust had settled they felt like, oh, they uh, Paul Simon's really uh, benefiting off this thing a lot although they did as well, huh? but possibly not, as, not in the same scale.
4: What John believes is that law and justice is not the same and that while Paul Simon perhaps should have given Ray Peary more credit, he is not the only one that ought to learn a lesson from a story that unfortunately is far too common. You
5: know, my, my saddest moment in my life was working with Stimela, and these are my like musical heroes. It was, uh, And after the event, being approached by Stimela to say, please, Guy, have you got any other jobs for us? And I was really astounded that we hadn't looked after our most iconic... us being South Africa and that Paul Simon hadn't taken care of them for for the rest of their lives not that it was his obligation but definitely he could have
2: And listening to a Sound Africa podcast. If you like this episode, share it with the people you like. This episode was produced by Longile Sojini and edited by Rasmus Bitts. And my name is Neo Rakajani. Sound Africa podcasts are made with support from Open Society and Hindenburg Systems. The Mail and Guardian is our media partner for the Revisit series.